Hey, everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. My name is Matt, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking today? Ah, uh, good. Tired. Tired, Very yes. tired. Same here. Sur- survive podcast movement. Yes, but, we did. Uh, Barely. I'm good, and uh, it's just water. Need, just need to recover. Same here. I just I, My lips have been dry the entire weekend, drinking a lot of alcohol, trying to stay focused, and yeah, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's just water. It might be water all day. I don't think I'm going to be drinking beer today. I think all networking happened over whiskey or bourbon. Oh my god! Like like straight. Ugh. Just <laughs> I, I one man should not be able to drink that much alcohol in a weekend. I'm surprised I'm still alive. I'm not gonna lie. I'm surprised my wallet's still alive. Yeah, that too. Uh, <laughs> so uh, listen, guys. If you have any questions, you want to email the show. It's listedmoneymatters at gmail dot com. Let's get that out of the way, right? And of course. Submit your catchphrases that we say at the beginning of the show. Today's catchphrase is an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And that was sent in to us by at BrendanStory93. So thank you, Brendan, for that. Really appreciate it. And you can send those into our Twitter account. It's at Money Matters Man. It's our Twitter handle. Uh, I'm very excited about today's interview. Like, my head. That's that's my head exploding. That's my best sound effect with my dry lips. Um, We have uh, a best-selling author. A guy who has traveled the world, in fact, every single country, he's been to every country, which is a feat that I can't even imagine. We're going to talk to him about it. And he ha- I've read both of his books. He's got a new book coming out called, uh, what's it called? The Pursuit of Happiness, except it's reversed, The Happiness of Pursuit. Uh, and today we have Chris Gillibo. Chris, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, man. Uh, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Dude, uh, first of all, read both your books. Totally... Uh, just both of them blew my mind. I read them in, in reverse. I read $100 Startup first, and then I read The Art of Nonconformity. And both of them are amazing. I want to just get that out of the way. Cool. Thanks and, for the testimonial. Sure. And and you have a new book coming out. I want you to tell us a little bit about this new book. Sure. So the new book, as you kindly mentioned, uh, is called The Happiness of Pursuit. Mm-hmm. And uh, in some ways, it's the story of my visiting every country in the world, uh, which was about a 10-year quest. It was something that I initially just loved travel. I loved exploration. I lived overseas in West Africa for a few years. And then after I'd been to about 50 countries, I thought like, well, what about you know going to 100? Like, I'll set that as a personal goal. And then eventually I decided that that was okay, but like, wouldn't it be better to go to every country in the world? Um, so that's kind of how that came to be. But fortunately, the book is not just about my own story because uh, that'd be kind of boring. So I, I decided to write a book about quests in general. So it uses a similar case study method as the $100 startup, if some of the listeners are familiar mm-hmm. with $100 startup. I, I wanted to tell the stories of all kinds of people who started businesses without spending a lot of money and talk about how they did that, what mistakes they made along the way, and what we could learn from them. So Happiness of Pursuit is, is kind of like that, but about quests. It's the story of, of all these different people who've undertaken a quest or a big adventure, a big pursuit, something that they invest a lot of time in, and just trying to understand why they do that, you know, what they learned along the way, how they were changed, and then what we can learn about it from them as well. And was this something that you planned on doing when you first started 10 years ago? Were you planning on writing a book about traveling to 193 countries? Oh, no, no, definitely not. Okay. I mean, in the beginning, it, it was not a strategic thing at all. It was It was just a personal quest and... I, I didn't have a, a blog. I didn't write books. I mean, that all just kind of came about uh, along the way. So probably just in the past three years, as the quest has been like reaching its end, I've been thinking about, okay, what, what is the story that I want to, to tell about this and what do I want to communicate? That's amazing. That's insane. Like, I don't even, I don't even know if I could travel to one country 
I'd be, I'd be exhausted. <laughs> you know, they have beer in almost uh, pretty much every country in the, in the world. Uh, they don't have bourbon in every country, but right. just, just about every country has some alcohol, even places where, you know, it, it's, it's kind of on the down low. There's pretty much, you know, everywhere you go, you can pretty much get a drink. So I think you guys would be safe. Oh, <laughs> I, I need to to get on a plane. <laughs> I need to be comatose. Uh, what was the first country you ever traveled to? The first country I ever traveled to, when, you know, when I was a little kid, uh, my mom married this guy who was in the, the Air Force, and he ended up getting deployed to the Philippines. So I ended up living there for about two years from age six to age eight. Really? Yeah. How'd you like it there? Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. It, uh, it's great to go back. Uh, I've been back a few times as an adult. I think I appreciated it more, you know, when you're like a six-year-old American kid and you just get taken to this new place. Like, there's some things you like about it, but then there's some, some things you don't like. Mm-hmm. So it was actually really good to go back as an adult. I want to talk about the art of nonconformity. This whole idea that you wanted, I guess you didn't want to conform to what everyone else thought as far as how to live your life, right? I mean, that's, that's a general idea. Well, I wasn't really good at conforming to what other people thought or. Expected. Oh, that's just your nature. Yeah, it wasn't so much, uh, you know, again, it also it wasn't super strategic. You know, same with my employment history. People always say, like, how did you get started as an entrepreneur? I said, well, I was a terrible employee. Like, I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to work for somebody else. And for me, the, the initial motivation was kind of like, how can I do anything else, you know, at all possible, you know, legally, ethically to kind of make a living for myself? So, art of nonconformity initially, kind of same kind of thing is. You know, the central message is you don't have to live your life the way other people expect. You can do good things for yourself and for others at the same time, you know, and hear the stories of people all over the world who are doing that in in different ways. And what were the jobs that you were terrible at? The jobs I was terrible at, um, I had a one week job as a telemarketer. (laughs) Which was just awful. I did the same exact thing. One week. Yeah, I think pretty much everybody actually yeah. lasts about one week. You yeah. know, like nobody actually gives their notice. They just don't show up. You know, it was like I, I knew it was a bad sign when, like, the four or five days that I was there, like every single day there would be different people working, <laughs> right? Because somebody had left the, the previous day, and then on the sixth day it was my turn. I guess so. An extremely high turnover rate. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you kind of know, like, right in that that this is a terrible thing, and uh-huh. like from the first afternoon or the first. The first phone call, you know, the first time someone hangs up on you as they probably should. Right. You know, when you like, so that wasn't good. Um, I mean, I delivered pizza for a while. That was actually a decent job, but you know, you don't want to do that for your whole, your whole life. Right. And then, but what what got you into quitting it all and doing and and doing just what you wanted to do? Well, the last bad job that I had that was age nineteen or twenty. I was living in Memphis, Tennessee, and that was uh, working for FedEx. And I was working the midnight shift. It's like a four-hour shift from like 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. It paid like $8 an hour, and it was really hard work, just mm-hmm. kind of lugging boxes around, and people would yell at you. And uh, I, I learned how to sell things on eBay back when eBay was, was very new. And without really knowing much about how it works, without knowing how to write HTML, like I took terrible photos. It was just you know a bad process, but I made like $19 or $20 an hour. Ah. And I was like, this is great. And I could do it whenever I wanted. You know, I didn't have to, to do it from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. unless that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so that, I thought that was just great. I was like, this is freedom. This represents freedom and independence for me. You know, maybe I can't do this my whole life, but who cares? Like, I'm 19 and, you know, I just made $20 an hour, like, selling random stuff around my apartment. So yeah. this is, you know, that was just, a, it was like a, a good motivation. It was like a sign of something that's possible on the other side. There's another way to do things that nobody told me about. Like I didn't learn about this in school. I always thought, you know, my next 
step up the ladder was going to be I'll be a I'll be a supervisor at FedEx, you know, and then I'll make twelve bucks an hour or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was just like a whole, you know, paradigm shift is like a terrible phrase, but it was just like a transformation for me. Did you go to college? I did. You did. Go, did you pay for college with eBay? Uh, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, I went to community college okay. first, you know, and then I transferred to a four-year institution. So it wasn't super expensive. Um, I did have some grants and I did have some help from my dad as well. When you got out of college, were you in debt? I was not. Okay. So you paid, did you pay your way while you were in college or? I worked, I mean, I did work the whole time, whether it was the the random jobs or then my own business. Uh, yeah, I try, I tried to avoid debt, um, as much as possible. I didn't take out any loans to buy a car. I didn't purchase anything I couldn't afford. Um, I mean, I had a credit card, but I was pretty religious about paying it off every month, or I might have slipped once or twice or something. But I guess I, I, I was kind of anti-debt from from the beginning. So you were good with money. Did that come from your parents, or where did you learn that? Yeah, I don't know if I was if I was good with money. I guess I, I was just afraid of debt, and I, I I was kind of realized that if I had debt, then I then my choices would be restricted. You know, I, I think maybe some some people think um, you know if you have a credit card, you can buy more than you can afford, so therefore you have more choices, but I made a lot of bad choices in my life, but I guess one good thing is that I did realize that if I do that, if I purchase things I can't afford, it's actually going to restrict my choices, you know, in the future. So I'm not entirely sure where that came from, but maybe that's that's one good habit to counter all the bad ones. So if if you didn't have a job and you know you're starting your own thing, how did you uh, pull it off with no income and not accumulating debt? That sounds like pretty tough to you know like eat and. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I had income, I and mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, from, once I was doing the eBay thing, then I started doing some consulting. Then I learned a little bit more about the eBay stuff. Like, I, I you know, eventually, the the thing with selling random stuff around your apartment is eventually you run out of stuff. Right. To sell. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's a great business model for like three weeks. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I've done but, it too. Uh, no, but that's the thing. I kind of studied. You know, I, so I was studying entrepreneurship just by doing it. So um, I looked at I looked to see, okay, what else is selling. You know, and uh, I, I saw, for example, that coffee was selling. People were really buying this gourmet coffee for like $26 a pound. And I was curious. I was like, where do they get that from? You know, and so mm-hmm. I just go- started Googling or actually like it's early, early search engines, Alta Vista, Excite. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that or remember that. <laughs> yes. Right? It's like in some museum somewhere, you know. Right. Uh, I'm like trying to track down the supplier and I realized I can buy this for like $13 a pound. I can buy it for 13 I can sell it for 26 So I started doing that. And and I was working like 30 to 40 hours a week. You know, I got a little bit better at what I was doing. Um, so I think before too long, you know, I was making, I guess, between 30000 and $40,000 a year, uh, which is not a huge number, of course. But, you know, again, I was 19, I was 20, I was in college. And like, that was, that was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. That was huge for me. Yeah. Like, it was, it was enormous. And I, and so I, I guess, um, you know, I, I became kind of addicted to this idea of like, how can I build these small little businesses and pay for what I want? And maybe I'm not getting rich doing it, but again, I don't have debt. Right. And so the eBay fee- thing eventually ran out, right? Yeah, it, well, it eventually transitioned. You know, I spent uh, probably eight years or so doing random little businesses like the eBay thing. You know, when, when the eBay thing ran, ran out, then I learned about Google AdWords and AdSense. And that was like a whole like, that had a whole run of its own. And I learned about affiliate marketing. I learned how to build websites. I did business consulting. I did lots of little stuff. And if it sounds impressive, it really shouldn't because it, I, I really was, I was doing okay. I was just, but I was just pay, you know, paying the bills. I wasn't really building a strategic business. For me, again, it was motivated by freedom and independence. So why did you create many small things and not you know, one big thing? 
I don't know if I knew how to create one big thing. Hmm. I don't know that, you know, I don't know that I would have been good at that. I also am I'm much better at, at just starting a lot of different projects for better or worse. And, and again, like it, it could be for worse because you could say like, why didn't, yeah, why didn't you like build a real startup, you know, and sell that for a lot of money or something. But I guess for me, the motivation was, you know, for a number of years, how can I make enough money to do what I want to do, you know? And if I have enough money to do what I want to do, then I'm not super concerned with trying to increase that or trying to really create equity or or anything like that. I think those are good goals. It just wasn't what I was focused on for a while. That's interesting. I, I, I feel like I'm the same way. I don't want to do that one thing. I want to do a bunch of multiple things that maybe I'm good at because I'm sort of a jack of all trade. I imagine that you are a jack of all trade as well. Yeah. And I, I think over time, maybe you do specialize a little bit more, but even these days, yeah, I still do a lot of different stuff. And I, uh, it's just kind of how I'm oriented. And I'm I'm kind of opposed to the idea of, of telling people like you you have to find this one thing, especially when when you're a young person. How do you know what that one thing is going to be? You don't. You know you experiment. You know, if if um, if I had really focused on whatever that one thing is, I probably never would have started selling random stuff around my apartment on eBay mm-hmm. because I could have said to myself, well, you know that's not that, that's not going to be you know the best long term decision. And like, what are you going to do in three weeks when you run out of stuff to sell? But for me, that was a great thing to do because. For the very first time, I'm making money on my own. You know, I, I have money that's coming not from an employer, but from something that I've made happen myself, and that was very freeing. It felt very empowering, and it kind of led to a lot of stuff that came later. So you you don't know in the beginning what that that big thing is going to be. So you recommend people just try things out, right? Yeah, why not? I mean, yeah, you never know. Especially if the risk is low. I mean, I think that's that's the beauty of starting without. A lot of, of money without putting a lot of, of funds or capital or with also without a long timeline either. You know, if you spend six months, you know, working full time on something, then you have a, a lot of investment there as well. But, you know, why, why not just start something that you could do within a couple of weeks? Yeah. See what happens. And you were living, I would imagine, pretty frugally. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Super, super, probably, probably too frugally. I mean, you're selling all the shit in your apartment. So I imagine that had, you know, what you, what were you living with? Were you living like Steve Jobs where you had a couch on the floor or maybe a, uh, a bed without a frame? Yeah. No, I mean, I think I had a bed, but you okay. know, I had, I had a lot of random shit. I mean, I yeah. had like video games and, you know, CDs back when people had those things. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, clothes, posters, you know, Legos. I mean, just, just whatever, you know. When did you start the blog? I started the blog uh, much later than all this, actually. The blog comes much later. I started it in 2008, and that's actually after I moved back from West Africa, uh, moved to Seattle, and uh, my whole goal was like, okay, I've done all this random stuff, you know, I've traveled a lot, had these small little businesses, which as we've talked about, were not super impressive, although they did allow me to pay the bills, so that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the next thing was like, okay, what like what do I hope to to really do with this? Like I have all this freedom. What's what's the next step? So part of answering that was starting the blog. On the the whole travel thing, um, I, you had mentioned before that uh, you travel with your parents. Uh, is that really what inspired you travel when you're older? And and how much of your you know hitting every country in the world happened you know while you're with your parents? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, I think it was just a, it was just a few countries. Uh, with my mom and stepdad, you know, when I was a little kid, it was it was just Korea and the Philippines, maybe Japan or something. And I traveled a little bit as a teenager. I think I did a South America trip. I might have done a Europe trip, but it wasn't a lot. Um, I would say what really inspired the 
the travel was was after after 9-11 I was kind of depressed like lots of folks were and just trying to figure out okay where's my place in the world and how can I how can I help with something like I want to be a part of doing something positive and so that led to me moving to Sierra Leone in Liberia I was there from 2002 to 2006 I was working with a medical charity just volunteering just doing whatever I could to help out with logistics or whatever else and uh, as a result of that process probably went to maybe 10 or 15 countries in West and Southern Africa, and then another 10 or so countries in Europe. So I, that's kind of where it really kicked in. It was maybe age 20, age 22, 24 around then. And then the more I did it, it was kind of like starting the small business. Like the more I did it, the more I wanted to do it. The more, like, the more empowered I felt, the more excited I was you know, about seeing more of the world. And then I've always, I've always been really attached to goal setting. I like making lists. I like having projects, and so once I thought, thought about making it a project of visiting every country in the world, that kind of tied a lot of things together for me. So uh, obviously at this point when you're traveling around the world, you had like, what, $2 million, $10 million? <laughs> no, I had, I had $0 million. <laughs> you know, I, I, continued to, I continued to hustle and, just, and do my business consulting. Um, I, was, I was creating some information products. I had started doing that, so I did have a little bit of passive income. Mm-hmm. Coming and and so I don't I don't mean to say it's not it's not substantial, but we're talking an income of less than a hundred thousand dollars a year throughout all this time, basically. I mean, and that that's changed a little bit recently. Like some of my projects have been more successful, so that's great. But I would say throughout all that all that travel experience, um, you know, the income is around fifty thousand dollars, sometimes more. Um, but it's not. It's definitely not millions of dollars in the bank. So so towards the end, it was mostly from chrisgillibo.com. Like like that funded your world travel. Yeah, I mean, it certainly has since 2009, since since the, basically the first year of the blog. Um, again, I started the blog as a non-commercial, you know, project. There's no advertising on it. There's no sponsorship, but I did begin to create some information products um, based on the things that people were asking me about um, after about six months of the blog. So yeah, I, I, within the first year of the blog, it became kind of a self-sustaining endeavor. When you say informational products, what does that mean exactly? Uh, I mean, the first one I created was uh, a discount airfare guide because people were asking me, how do you purchase your plane tickets? You know, how do you do this travel hacking thing? How do you earn all these frequent flyer miles? Um, so I decided to create a small little ebook basically answering those questions. It was a super, super simple you know, product that took me maybe a week or so to create. Um, I sold it for something like $24. And the first day I put it up for sale, I also didn't have a huge audience or anything. I mean, it, it sold something like a $1,000 in revenue. And I was really excited about it because I was like, okay, you know, I, like I can do something with this. Yeah, you, you know? made something and it sold. Yeah, I Instead made of something. just grabbing shit from your apartment or so consulting, I yeah. made something and it sold. It's an asset. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a small little asset, it's going to continue to sell. Like it's not going to do $1,000 a day every day. But, you know, if it sells one copy a day, you know, at $24, that's $24 that I didn't have to do anything for, right? Right. So I, I really began to kind of believe in that model and get more specific about, about creating products you know, creating evergreen products that would help people specifically with travel and self-employment. Oh, so you were doing uh, travel and self-employment, and this is when you had the art of nonconformity.com? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's under my, yeah, it's under my name, chrisgillibo.com, but yeah, the blog is Art of Nonconformity. And what made you, what, how did you transition into a full book? Uh, well, I did always want to write a book, and writing a book wasn't a business goal. It was just a life goal. Like I wanted to, I like to write, and I, I like the idea of, of writing a book. Books had always made a big impact on me. I was a big reader. I could th- think of a lot of books that had changed my life as a child and, and a teenager. So when did I transition to that? It was also that same first year. Like the, they started the blog, 
um, you know, started growing the audience, um, created the first information product. And then I think it was in the fall of that year, so maybe like nine months in, I started to understand the process of writing a book and what's involved with that. And how do I write a book proposal? How do I find an agent? How do we pitch the book, et cetera? And then, so I went through all that and we pitched the book and I think 14 publishers turned it down and then the 15th one said yes. And I was like, great, you know, I'll take it, you know, whatever it is, you know. Um, and, and that's how the, the journey began with that. Was that a moneymaker or was it, um, were the informational products better than that? Because I've uh, heard people like Tim Ferriss say that he really hasn't made any money off his first book. Yeah. Well, I was I mean, curious. He's, he's actually made a lot of money off that, that first book. Um, and... Was it a money maker? No, I wouldn't say it was a money maker for me. Definitely not the not the first book. Mm-hmm. Um, information products would definitely make more, sure. But I guess uh, it's a complicated answer. I don't mean to give you an straight answer because it definitely leads to a lot of other opportunities. It's a brand builder. Yeah, it's a brand builder, and then also like hundred dollar startup has done done pretty well. I mean, it's it's sold several hundred thousand copies around the world. So, you know, even though. You know the the per copy royalty is is fairly low. I mean, it is substantial. You know, over time and over over a lot of copies. Did you a study writing like at school? Nope. No. So that was all just a personal. You know, we're yeah, just interested yeah, in writing. I did a lot of writing. You know, I did a lot of writing at school. You know, wow. I did I did a, a graduate program in Seattle when I was there at the University of Washington. And so I wasn't studying writing, but I was studying international studies. But I had to write a lot of term papers that no one would ever read. You know, uh, I had to, I had to spend a lot of time in, in the library, like crafting these these things that would get no no audience. Um, but that's another story. Right. You said you met you mentioned uh, you read a, you were a big reader and a couple of books that changed your life. What were some of those books? Oh sure. Uh, I don't think I read a lot of business books. Uh, I was mostly reading fiction um, and then some nonfiction. I I like the book Man's Search for Meaning. By Viktor Frankl, it's about survival and even even kind of emotionally thriving in a really difficult circumstance. Um, I like the I like uh, the book Mountains Beyond Mountains. It's a, it's a story of Dr. Paul Farmer, who's made a big difference in Haiti and other places around the world in the area of healthcare. Um, lots of other things. My favorite novelist is Haruki Murakami. I don't know if you're familiar with Murakami's work, but probably my favorite book of his is A Wild Sheep Chase. There's a few of them for you. That's awesome. So a lot of people who do this make money online thing, um, they're, they're writers. Uh, Matt and I have kind of discovered that we're not writers. Um, okay. And, and we, you know, we haven't made any money on the podcast yet. I'm just curious, like, do you think that you need to be a writer to kind of give, give this whole thing a go? Like, okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, no, I don't think so. You know, for me, I, I, like writing is the medium that I gravitate towards. I don't have a podcast. You know, I don't do a good job with online video. Um, you know, for me, writing is what I do, and then the events that so works for me. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, um, I mean, there's a lot of people who've had some really successful podcasts as well, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Who've been able to monetize podcasts, uh, and, and not all of them. Those people are, are writers. Um, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk is an online personality who's super, super great with with online video and social media. I think he'd be the first one to say he's not a writer. In fact, in his, he, it's kind of funny because he wrote a book and he even said in the book, like, I didn't actually write this book, you know, <laughs> which, which for anyone else would be totally like disingenuous and, and awful. But for him, it kind of makes sense. And it, it's fine. You know, it's cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like there's more than one, there's more than one way. I mean, I, I feel like one, one way or another, the answer is value, right? The other one way or another, you have to, 
you have to help people. Mm-hmm. And, and value is one of those words that's like always overused in business, but I, I just think of it like that as helping people. You have to help people. You have to make a difference in people's lives, but there's more than one way to do that. Uh, I think a big question that's kind of out there related to that is how, how do you know like if you're going to help people? How do you know that people need this widget that you want to create or you know that you should even create this widget because people want it? Mm. Yeah, also a great question. You're nailing um, only, it, Andrew, with the questions. Yeah, Woo! It's good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I mean, I can only answer it from my experience. You know, I, I think, and then from everybody else I talked to, like for a hundred dollar startup, I think it's really helpful to to focus on what people are asking you about. I, I feel like everyone, no matter what their age, like they, they are good at something. They're, everyone's an expert at something. And, and there's probably some questions that people are asking you a lot. And if they're asking you these questions, it's because they recognize you as an authority or as an expert, and also there's this demand for whatever this knowledge or information or, or widget, whatever it is. You know, so in, I guess in my case, everyone was asking when I first started the blog. I had no intention of turning it into a business, but everyone was asking me about the the airfare thing and the frequent flyer thing, and I thought maybe I'll just maybe there's a market for this. You know, maybe I'll create something and uh, I'll still do most of my work for free, but th- this is available for purchase for those who want it and. Mm-hmm. That turned out to be a successful thing. So I guess maybe just paying attention is is good, you know, paying attention and listening. And and uh, if there's something, also if there's something that, that's not working well, there's an inefficiency or something you see that's something that would make your life better, then you're probably not the only one. So um, how do you know that this thing that, that people are asking about or this, uh, how, how do you know it's not stupid? And I, And I think... Not only like that, maybe the idea is stupid or, or the thing that you know is stupid, but how do you understand like the value in it? Because I know a lot of people, Matt included, have a very tough time assigning value to the things that they do and are good at. Like he, he almost feels like he could do it, so it's like not really that valuable. Yeah, that's interesting. There's a lot there that we could unpack. I guess, I guess you don't know if it's stupid or not. That's that's why you do it and why you put it out there and why hopefully you do it with relatively low risk, you know, and low investment. Um, you know, that that first ebook that I made, uh, like, like I said, it didn't take a ton of work. Uh, it was more an experiment, and I I didn't really put a whole lot into the the marketing of it. People even kind of made fun of it because they're like, "This is like a, a terrible title." The title is like "Discount Airfare Guide." You know, it's the most unsexy <laughs> title you could possibly come up with. You know, it should be like, "Here's how to save three hundred and sixty-four dollars on your next plane ticket today." You know, right. Something. Right. Um, but I guess it gave me confidence to maybe go back and optimize and improve and do something a little bit smarter. Um, you know, the second the second time. So I guess that's the first thing. And the second thing is. Yeah, I mean, the part about how if something's easy for you, maybe you don't see the value. I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot there because, you know, if it's easy for you, it's not necessarily easy for other people, you know? Like, I, I'm not a mechanical person. I can't fix anything. I can't put together IKEA furniture. I just, I hate that. I absolutely hate that, right? Whereas some people are, just have, like, a super great talent for right. it. I can't, I can't even, like, I used to say... I could. I, all I could do is screw in a light bulb. That's the only thing I could do around the house. But then light bulbs started getting re- started getting really complicated because now there's like other pieces to them and things. Like some, you have to take like part of the lamp off. So I can't even do that anymore. <laughs> so that for me is very difficult. I would be very happy if Matt would come over to my house and, and fix my light bulbs. Oh, I, mean, I can't help you with that either. Right, but so there's somebody who could. <laughs> How many online entrepreneurs does it take to screw in a light bulb? Right, exactly. <laughs> so I'm curious because. 
and, and I don't know, I may be completely off base here, but I, I imagine when you launched your first book, I was launched to mostly crickets. Um, you know, it's not like you, I, you know, not everyone's a Tim Ferriss, so they launch it and then they're like, you know, off to the races. So how do you like um, digest, like you spend weeks on this book, you think it's going to be huge, you launch it, you make yeah. $30 mm-hmm. and then you're like, well, that sucked. Well, I did everything I possibly could to make it successful, and I wasn't launching to a huge audience, but it wasn't crickets either. You know, I knew people, and I, I really believe that everyone everyone knows people. Like, even if you think, oh, I don't, I don't know, like, this blogging personality, or I don't, I don't know, like, this famous person online who, who has Twitter followers. I mean, like, like who cares, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, everybody knows some, someone, and, you know, when I, yeah, when I launched the first book, you know, the blog had been out for a year and a half or so, and I, first of all, I went to all my readers, you know, and the most loyal and amazing people of all. And I asked them to help out. You know, I did write to other bloggers, other authors, other personalities, um, people that I had either had relationship with or didn't even know at that point. You know, I mean, if I have a, if I have a book out that I believe in, if I've worked on it for years, you know, I don't, I don't have any shame in going to people and, and asking them to help. And, of course, they can say no, and that's fine, too. Uh, I did everything I could. I did my own book tour also because I talked to the publisher and I was like, "Hey, like I'm excited. My first book's coming out. Like, where's the tour?" They're like, "Oh, we don't, we don't do that." You yeah, know, it's up to you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't do. We don't actually have money for that, and you know, most authors don't want to do it anyway anymore and stuff. And I thought, well, I thought it would be fun to do it. I'd done a couple of meetups, and it really enjoyed like talking to those people and hearing like how they connected with my world or whatever. So. I said, I'll, I'll do my own book tour if that's what it takes. And I have this whole thing about going to every country in the world, so it can't be a small thing. I can't just be like, I'm going to four cities. Right. You know, uh, so I decided to do all 50 states. And then I decided to do every province in Canada because I didn't want to leave them out either. So it's like 63 cities. Uh, and I said, I will do this myself. You know, I'd love for, for people to help and be a part of it. Um, publisher, I would love for you to help and be a part of it, but I'm going to do it regardless. You right. Know? So. I just started doing that. I mean, I started in New York. You know, I did New York. I did Philly. I did D.C., Boston, Maine, you know, Connecticut, all of New England. And I did all of the Midwest, did all of the South, God West damn. Coast, you know. I could um, understand New York, but why Philly? Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a state, you know. I mean, well, it represents, you know, it's a city and a state. So I had to, had to go there. You know, some of the best, some of the most interesting stops, like I don't mean to like sidetrack on this, but some of the most interesting stops were actually smaller places, you know, places uh-huh. like in North Dakota or wherever, where there'd be like 15 people. And it, it was just, it was great. It actually helped kind of build, it built the, the platform. It helped me establish me for the next book. And, and more than just the business stuff, like it, it gave really strong relationships that exist, you know, to this day, five years later. It's amazing. That's a lot. Of, well, you like traveling, so that's easy for you. There's a lot, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of authors that just despise traveling. Yeah, I guess, but that sucks. I mean, like, I I, I, so I, once in a while I read these, uh, you know, like columns or something about authors complaining about book tour, and I'm like, you know, you should just shut up because you have a great life. You know, yeah, like you right. Write books, and people care about them, and you like you go to bookstores, and there are people sitting there, like waiting to hear from you. Like, this mm-hmm. is a, this is a great life. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, events, and you have an event called World Domination Summit. How did you? How did that begin? What what gave you the idea to do something that and it's been it's huge. I mean, it's huge, especially in our world. Um, you know, how did you come up with that? How did you get it together? What was the whole thing behind that? And and also describe it for our listeners because I, I think most won't it's amazing. Yeah, it it's amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, well, that's a, good, that's a good segue because we were just talking about these meetups and the book tour thing that I did. Mm-hmm. And all along the way, there were these great people that were coming out to these events. And a lot of them were creative, unconventional types, um, you know, lots of personal finance kind of people, lots of entrepreneurs, travelers, artists, students, um, people interested in nonprofit, just all kinds of different stuff. And they were all ages, too. You know, like there were a lot of young people, but there were also older people who were, you know, hoping to do something different for a second career. Or maybe they'd always had an unconventional career and they didn't actually have a lot of peers who understood, you know, what they were doing. So I thought like the greatest asset, you know, to use that word again, the greatest asset is this community and the greatest asset are all these amazing people. So wouldn't it be great if we could bring people together, not just, you know, for one night in New York or one night in North Dakota or wherever, but like from all over the place. And so I am from Portland, Oregon. That's my hometown. I'm here at least half the time, even though I'm traveling a lot as well. And so World Domination Summit, uh, first iteration was just a, a gathering of, of creative people. And I invited, you know, everyone that I knew to come. We did about 400 people the first year. That was four years ago. And, uh, we, you know, we had some main stage talks. There's some programming. There's lots of workshops. Um, there's also just lots of meetups and activities. Um, so it, it's, it's just a celebration of independence and freedom. And so that was four years ago. And then we decided to do it every year. And it's grown a bit uh, every year to now there's maybe four or 5,000 you know, people that are participating. And it's been, it's been huge. Is it it's a, fun. is it a moneymaker or no? It is not a moneymaker. No, we did it. We did it as a not-for-profit uh, right from the beginning. Uh, well, for the first year I said it was an accidental not-for-profit because mm-hmm. I lost money on it. Uh, I lost like $30,000 in, in putting it together because um, I didn't know how events worked. Right. Uh, but then, you know, second year we got a little bit smarter and the audience size is, is bigger. We charged a little bit more for tickets. Um, um, so, so the event makes a profit, but I don't keep the profit. Um, we, we kind of funnel it all back into the scholarship fund that we have. That's amazing. It's huge. It's fun. It's great. What's the next thing for Chris Gillibo? You know, I got this new tour that mm-hmm. I'm doing. I have a new book that you mentioned earlier, happiness of pursuit. So I'm, I'm doing 40 cities at least. Uh, Are you coming to Philadelphia? I am indeed. When are you coming to Philly? Uh, September 11th, I believe. Really? Yep. I will be yep. there. Really soon. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, started in New York and go uh, all across the country doing some stuff in Canada, eventually to India and Australia, but that's that's kind of the focus for now. Focuses on the book. Focuses on the book. Yeah, the book, the whole community. You know, it's it's all intertwined. Like we talked about earlier, I don't want to just do one thing. Right. Uh, so it's all intertwined, but I do also believe in seasons. So this is kind of like a season for like for the book. Mm-hmm. And a book comes out September 9th? That's right. I can't wait for it, honestly, because I, I – um, and your other books – uh, the Art of Nonconformity, which was amazing, and The $100 Startup, which I read first, also amazing. And Thank so you. I'm very much looking forward to the new one. Cool. Appreciate that. And uh, we, we definitely get early copies, right? Of course. Yeah. I've sent you like 100 Yes. Let's send us 100 copies. We'll get it out to our listeners. It'll be perfect. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, we only emailed you because we figured like, hey, like maybe we'll save like 30 bucks or something. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I totally get it. Five <laughs> <laughs> five minutes together. Right. Uh, so, Chris, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, you guys are great. Thank you. All right. Uh, guys, listen, uh, if you have any more questions for Chris or, or just questions about what we talked about on today's episode, uh, episode, that's a thing, right? Uh, shoot <laughs> us an email, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And uh, you can, of course, go to our website, which is listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. I don't think I sh- I'm going to, I'm not going to read a review because I don't want to. Is that okay, Andrew? Uh, yeah. But I just want to say that our website is listenmoneymatters.com and not at gmail.com. Right. Listen Money Matters. Did I say at Gmail? I think you did. But, anyways. Well, listenmoneymatters.com, you know where it is. 
And uh, Chris, what's your website that people can find the book when it comes out and all your other books? Yeah, so they can go to artofnonconformity.com, as you mentioned, but they mm-hmm. can also go to chrisgillibo.com, which no one can spell. But if you type in something close to that on Google, you'll probably find it. <laughs> yeah, I totally butchered it when I was trying to find your site first. It's all good. <laughs> you, you type in happiness of pursuit or art of nonconformity or anything like that, you'll find me. Yeah, and I have a long last name of 10 letters, so I understand that. Awesome, man. Uh, so are, are, do you, are you a drinker? Uh, I am a drinker. It's nine nine thirty in the morning. Of so course, I'm drinking coffee at, at the moment. Uh, uh, I need some uh, alcohol recommendations and some coffee recommendations from you. Oh, uh, okay. So just a just a general alcohol recommendation, like a specific bourbon or something. What are you looking for? What is your favorite type of liquor? Yeah, well, so usually in the evenings, I, I will have a, a bourbon based beverage mm-hmm. uh, most often. Um, Sometimes gin, but usually bourbon. So there's there's a lot of great um, distilleries here on the West Coast that I like. Um, I'm probably going to do like an old fashioned or a Manhattan or maybe a Sazerac. Actually, mm. would be like my, my go to if you can find a bar that knows how to make it. What's um, your favorite bourbon? Favorite bourbon? Your go to? Yeah, go to here in, in Portland is called Sweet Temperance, which is really nice. Uh, in terms of a national brand, I'd probably do like a Knob Creek or something. Knob Creek. Are mm. you a, a Woodford fan? Yeah, yeah, Woodford's great also, definitely. I just had Whistling Pig over the weekend at Podcast Movement. I thought that was amazing. Okay. Uh, cool. And what about gin? Uh, gin, so Aviation is also based here in Portland. It's getting more national presence, um, and that's good. Otherwise, I don't know that I'm really a connoisseur. You know, like I can, yeah. I can probably tell a difference between like Seagram's and, and Hendrix, but I don't know that I could really like give you a lot of commentary on all the nuances. I'm obsessed right now with uh, Blue Coat Gin. Have you had Blue Coat? No, I have not. It's uh, a small distillery here in Philadelphia. Okay, great. It's amazing. You want a bottle? Yeah, bring some out to the tour. Yeah, I'll say I'll give you a bottle. Okay, cool, man. That's awesome. fine. Thanks. And uh, coffee. I just want one good coffee recommendation. Since you're from Portland, I think their coffee over there is probably way better than it is in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's that's true. You know, I, I actually love the East Coast, but we do we do coffee a little bit better over a little here. Better, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, so the most obvious recommendation would be Stumptown, which actually is infiltrating at least New York. I don't know if it's made it down. Or made it over to you guys yet? It's um, made it to San Francisco because I talked to the people at Ready for Zero and they they mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, well, they're great. They're they're wonderful. Uh, Happy Cup is another one here. They actually, it's like a uh, a roaster that works with people with disabilities, so it's kind of a, a great coffee and it's also kind of giving back to the community. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate it, man. Cool. Happy to do it. Yeah. All right. So, guys, listen. That's it for our show. Uh, and thanks again for hanging out with us. And of course, we look forward to the next episode. So later. Later, man. <laughs>